What I really want to do today is praise the Lord for his simplicity and clarity. I really want to praise the Lord today for his simplicity and clarity that when life is complicated, he really has just boiled it down to a real basic thought. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to a funeral, and I was driving in my car, and the sun hit the floorboard in such a way that I realized I was wearing two different colored socks. I had my black suit on, but on my left leg, I had a black sock, and on my right ankle, I had a bright blue sock. I thought to myself, I do not want to be a distraction at this funeral. A good funeral does not leave everyone remembering the pastor. <laughs> I thought to myself, I got to change this. This isn't going to go well. And so as I'm a little kind of, oh, fretful that I'm going to run out of time, but I got to change my socks, I wasn't really paying attention to the car in front of me. And so I quickly realized I'm speeding right up on their bumper and I hit the brakes a little quickly spilt my coffee right on my shirt on my left leg. Oh. Then turned around, made my way quickly around the corner back to my house, switched socks, switched suits, got back into the car, time's running out, I run into the funeral and I had one of those passing thoughts. Did I put my notes in the Bible? And the way the morning had been going already, I realized that I had forgotten them. Pull off, run back to the trunk of the car, grab my Bible, and sure enough, my notes aren't in there. Boy, my morning was complicated for no other reason than my contributions. Anybody had a day like that? All right, how about those other days when life is complicated, not because of your contributions, but because of the contributions of other people? All right, they're forgetful. They're human. They make mistakes. Sometimes those people hurt us. Some people, sometimes those people sin against us. And in what they do towards us, our life gets complicated. It's not always because of our own contributions. Sometimes it's the contributions of others. My wife and uh, I were headed into Southern California just a couple of weeks ago. I was speaking at an event and we were making our way through a mountain pass, and as we came up over the pass, it looked like a bomb had gone off. Black, blowing smoke, just about three, 400 yards in front of us. What had happened is one semi had run into another semi, and that semi had literally just exploded, just a few hundred yards in front of us. Traffic is starting to back up, and as we're sitting there and backed up traffic, I looked to my left and there's a large concrete barrier keeping us from going that direction. There's nothing but wildland this direction. And I begin to notice that the mountain is now on fire. I'm sitting there going, this is not good. I can't go that way, can't go that way, can't go that way, can't go that way. And I looked at my wife and I said, this is getting complicated. <laughs> Sure enough, that whole mountainside caught on fire, and just within about 20 minutes, planes start flying in, and helicopters start flying in, and they're fighting that fire. And we sat there for about three, four hours watching that fire burn. I had nothing to do with that. That was the contribution of other choices and other events that impacted me. Now, here's the point. Whether I'm contributing or others are contributing, here's the simplicity and clarity of Scripture. No matter how complicated life is and who's contributing to its complication, 
we all have a very simplistic expectation from God. Love God, love others. And you and I can boil that down to a point that no matter what in life, you turn to your spouse and you say, you know what, there's a lot of things I don't know right now. Here's what I do know. Our job is to love God and love others, no matter what. Sometimes you and I will interact with our children during complicated times, and we don't know all the answers, and we don't know exactly what to do to the left or to the right, but we can say this, hey, kids, here's what I do know. Right now, at this season, we're going to love God, we're going to love others, no matter what. I want you to really enjoy that today. Life does get complicated, but God does not expect His expectations to be complicated. Love God, love others. Now, before we go any farther, let me make sure this is clear. Just because an expectation is simple doesn't mean it's easy. Would you agree with me today that loving God and loving others, no matter what, is hard? Would you raise your hand? It is hard. And there's a reason that it's hard. And some of you are saying, I know exactly what that reason is. It's because I don't know how to love. Pastor, you don't know the kind of home I was raised in. I was not raised in a culture of love, and so when it comes to this love thing, I just don't know how to love. But that's not why it's hard. It is not hard because you and I factually or experientially don't know how to love. Notice back in the text, Matthew 22, and I want you to notice what he says, verse 39, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor. What's the rest of the phrase? As thyself. Our Lord says, boy, the problem is not that you don't know how to love. You actually do know how to love. In fact, you know how to love really, really well. Here's what makes it hard. We love the wrong one. We love ourselves. And we didn't just kind of wake up one day loving ourselves. That wasn't something we stumbled into one day. We were born that way. And we've been that way for a long time. And what makes it difficult is not that I don't know how to love. It's that I, for the majority of my life, have loved someone else. It's me. And your challenge with the simplicity of God's expectation is not that you don't know how to love. It's that since birth, you've been loving the wrong one too. You've been loving yourself. That word entitlement is a word we like to attribute to everybody else. They're the entitled. They're the ones with that entitlement mentality. And we like to attribute it to millennials and that younger generation. Bible would say all of us have that entitlement mentality, and we've had it since the very beginning, in which we navigate through all of life and all of relationships wanting to get something from them. There's a lot of people who get married expecting their spouse to give them. Then they have kids, and they're excited that those kids are going to give them something. But what do we find in marriage and family? Not long after you say, I do, or you go, oh, wow, it's not about what you get. It's a daily demand to give. 
And the friction and tension that you and I are feeling is that we are a group of people who really do have an entitlement mentality of wanting to get. But it's not found in getting. It's in giving. And it's giving a love, not to myself, but to God and others. Does that make sense so far today? Life is complicated. Don't overcomplicate it by adding expectations that God hasn't added. Let's enjoy and rejoice in the simplicity that God says, no matter what, love God and love others. Now, here's where it gets really tough. Most of us so far in this message have not learned anything new. In fact, when I said, turn to Matthew 22, 37 through 40, some of you didn't articulate it out loud, but you thought it in your mind. Oh, been there. I was hoping for a new passage. In fact, some of you set an expectation for me that I have to teach you something about these verses that you don't know yet. But most of us know these verses. I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak. The question is not, do I know what these verses ask me to do? Here's where most of us are at. I know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to do it. Anybody other than me like that? All right, I know I am supposed to love God and others. Pastor, here's my struggle. I don't know how to do that. And that's the challenge we face in a lot of things. We know what, we don't know how. Hey, would you like a freebie? Here's a freebie. No charge for this. Some would call it a rabbit trail. Here's a freebie for you. Dads, remember in the Bible when it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath? You know one of the greatest ways to provoke our children to wrath is to give an expectation of what we want them to do, but never teach them how to do it. That is one of the easiest ways to really frustrate people. Bosses, you want to frustrate the people that work for you? Tell them what you want them to do, but never teach them how. And here's what I love. God teaches us what and very clearly teaches us how. That's good leadership. And that's exactly what God does. Now, what I'd like to be able to do, but I'm not able to do because of time, is to explain all of the how to love God and our neighbor. But what I can do is from this text give you the starting point. And I believe if you will put your feet on the starting point, embrace the starting point, you'll actually find yourself steps ahead in the how to loving God and loving others like you're supposed to. Go back to the text. Let me show you something that is easy to skip over. Again, beginning in verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Now, with your pen, circle this next verse. Somehow note it so that at future readings you don't forget it. What does he say? This is the first and great commandment. But now circle verse 40 because he's going to extend that same thought when he says, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. At the speaking of these words, the law and the prophets would be the equivalent of the Old Testament of your Bible. That would have been the revealed word of God at that moment. We could say it this way. The starting point that Jesus... 
for loving God and loving others is found right here in this book. Let me take it a step farther. What he's emphasizing there is that loving God and loving others is the natural extension of this book. Let me say it another way. If I'm going to have a relationship with God that loves him and a relationship with others that loves them, it will be an extension of my relationship with this book. Here's the starting point, guys. It's my relationship with this book. So let me ask you that question today. How is your relationship with this book? Years ago, I was saved at 18 years of age. A very dear man began to disciple me, and the way that he discipled me was that we would meet on Thursday mornings for breakfast at a little restaurant called Shoney's. And they had a breakfast buffet. And he knew that the best way to disciple an 18-year-old boy is to somehow attach it to food. And there's no better food than a buffet with eggs and lots and lots of bacon and sausage. And on Thursday mornings, we would meet together for Shoney's breakfasts at that buffet. And we would eat eggs and bacon and sausage, and we would study the Bible. And he was not wrong in what he taught me in that discipleship. But what he taught me was, Ron, every time we're together, I'm going to ask you this question. What did you get out of the Bible? And what he was challenging me to do was to never leave these pages, having not put my hands and arms around some truth and taken it with me. But here's what I found, and I am not in any way demeaning his discipleship in my life. But if we're not careful that what do you get out of the Bible mentality can easily cross paths with that entitlement mentality that we already have, and we approach the Bible with a relationship that says, what am I going to get out of this? And the danger of having a what am I going to get out of it mentality is, what do you do on Monday morning? When you read this book and you don't get anything out of it, what are we prone to do on Tuesday? I didn't get anything out of it. I don't know if it's worth my time. And we wake up on Wednesday and we think the same thing. And then we wake up on Thursday and we think the same thing. And before you know it, we're going weeks at a time without having any kind of relationship with this book because our mentality is, what is it going to give me? Here's the game changer that God has done in my life over the last few years. The Lord challenged me, and I challenge you with it today. Would you approach this book not with the mentality, what can I get out of it? But would you approach your time in this book with the mentality, what can I give? What can I give? You say, what does that look like? What if you and I were to approach daily our relationship with this book with the mentality, can I give time to it? Can I just give time to it? Do you realize that one of the age-old excuses that we use when we're young, we use it in our middle years, and we're going to use it when we're seniors is, I just don't have enough time. 
I used to think that once I retire, I'll finally have the time. But I have these old guys around me in our church, and they're always out of time. <laughs> I told the men yesterday, one of our men tells me that retirement is nothing more than being tired a new way. He's just as busy as anyone else in our church. We're always going to have to fight for time. But you and I, when it comes to our relationship with this book, we're going to have to give time to it. I heard a preacher say recently, one of the worst inventions to the devotional life of a Christian was the creation and invention of manufactured light. You know what manufactured light has done for us? It enables us to extend our days. It has enabled us to find a million other things to do sometimes than go to sleep. And I would challenge you, let's look at the time that we have and say this is a book in which I'm not approaching it from what I can get from it. I'm approaching it from what I can give. Can I just give time to it? And our ability to love God and love others is going to be the extension of my giving time to this book. Secondly, we give attention to it. We give attention to it. How many of you have ever been reading your Bible and you woke up three chapters later and have no idea how you got there? <laughs> we read our Bibles like some of us drive. You've shown up at a stoplight and go, wow, how did I get here? <laughs> and you look in the rearview mirror wondering how many crumpled cars are behind you. We do that. Sometimes we are focused on just getting through the chapter and just getting through the book and marking off the box that we really don't give it attention. I've been giving a lot of attention to attention of late. And one of the things I have been struck with lately is that it is really hard to notice details when you're moving fast. Whether that's in our relationship with our spouses, our family, our people around us, our church, or our God in this book. It's really hard to see the details if you're moving fast. And when we give our time to it, we're giving our time to it so that we can slow down and give attention. What are you looking for to give attention to in this book? Here's the number one thing. You're looking for the person in this book. From page one to the last, it's about a person. It's about the person of God. Now, I grant you, there are laws. There's about 630 of them, of those thou shalts and thou shalt nots. There's historical sections, and there are sections of preaching, like the prophets. There's narratives, like the gospels. There's exposition and exhortation, like the epistles. But when you look between these words and between these pages and begin to notice and pay attention to the details, you know what you find? There's a God of this book. And that's what we want to give attention to. And then thirdly, we give our energies to it. We begin to give our energies to not just be a hearer of this book, but a doer. We begin to give our energies to pray this book back to God. For some of you, your prayers could be characterized by BB prayers. Be with them and bless them. Be with them and bless them. Be with them and bless them. And God wants us to have better than a BB prayer. And one of the greatest places to pray to God is to pray His very words back to Him. There are some situations you're going through in regards to your children, your grandchildren, your siblings, your extended family. You're burdened for them. You don't know exactly what God's will is for them. Pray God's word back to Him for them. 
You give your energies to prayer. You give your energies to thanking and praising the God of this book. You close these pages and you take with you the energies of giving heed to what God has asked us to do. You say, but pastor, you don't understand my life. Life is complicated. I've been doing this. People have been doing that. My life is a mess. I have to get something out of this book. I don't have the energy to give time, attention, and energy to it. I want you to remember that verse. You and I say it all the time, and we especially say it around Thanksgiving. It is more blessed to what? Than to receive. And you and I know that principle, and we quote that principle, but remember it. We've all been there. You receive a blessing when you give. And when we approach this book and our relationship with it, giving, you probably will stumble across the getting that you're so desperate for. Let me boil it down. If you would embrace the idea of giving your time, attention, and energies to a relationship with this book, here's what you're going to find. There's a really neat God in this book. And there are two primary themes that this book has in regards to this God. Number one, he's sovereign over all things. I don't know how it works, but he's sovereign over my choice of a blue sock over a black sock. He's sovereign over my realization and the sunlight pouring through that window that I got a blue sock and a black sock. He's sovereign over that situation that caused me to hit the brake, spill the coffee, turn around, realize I left my notes. I want to give all the credit to me and my foibles. Somehow, someway, God's in charge of all of that. Fires, explosions, semis. God's over all of that, too. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because from page one to the last page, the Bible gives us intricate details of life after life after life. Prophecies given, prophecies fulfilled. You see detail after detail after detail that there is a God who is in charge of all things. Now it gets even better than that. Have you ever seen on the news a police officer who has walked into a scene and he has done something that was heroic, he has done something in the commanding of that scene? That's sometimes the way those men work. They have a type A personality. They move in, they command the scene. But when the scene was all over with, the dust is settled. The cameraman catches that officer sitting in a corner cradling a baby. Sadly, the news doesn't always grab that side of the story. But those are the men you and I respect. An ability to control the situation in a commanding way, but has a heart for the people involved. There's a second theme to the Bible. In fact, some would argue it is a greater theme than the first one I mentioned to you. And it's not just that this book introduces us to a sovereign God, but number two, a God that loves you. From page one to the end, the Bible screams at us the words of God, I love you. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't even know what your morning has been like. But can I ask you this question? Do you truly believe that God loves you? I did not ask, do you know that God loves you? 
because I'm preaching to the choir, you have the factual knowledge that God loves you. Do you really believe that God loves you? Do you? Do you really believe that God loves you? Let me encourage you if you're doubting it. Can I tell you how vast God's love is for you and for me? Do you realize today that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more? Number two, there's nothing you can do that's going to make God love you less. And number three, it gets even better. There's nothing you can do that will ever cause God to stop loving you. Sometimes I envision that a lot of people, they consider the love of God a little bit like that guy did with the flower thinking about the girl. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And you don't have a flower, but you think that way with God. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Jeremiah 31 and verse 3, Jeremiah says of the Lord, he has loved me with an everlasting love. I'm going to give you something that's going to make you want to say amen even better. Listen to this. You know what that means? God loves us without an exit strategy. Some of you, you know what that's like. You sit on the edge of your seat with relationships in your life. Boy, if they do that again, I'm out of here. Boy, if they say that, I don't know how it's going to affect the relationship. God never sits at the edge of his seat watching you and I going, I'm just waiting for him to do something so that I have a good excuse to stop loving him. He loves me no matter what. There is absolutely no strategy for exit in God's mind for you and for me. I don't know how familiar you are with the love of God, but the Bible says this, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Track with me here. That means that God's love is not sentimental. It's sacrificial. His love is not just a mere word. It's not a feeling. He put it on the line and proved it with the sacrifice of his son. Now it gets even better. Keep tracking with me. What he says there is this. If God loves me on my worst day, a sinner without Christ, he'll keep loving me when I'm not on my best. I don't know about you. I know in our church over the last year, we have been battling these little voices of false doctrine that keep wanting to just kind of make their way into the church to say that there is no such thing as eternal security. The Bible would teach there is a thing called eternal security. And the only reason there is eternal security is because of God's everlasting love. And what I have found is that the people who doubt their salvation, they're often doubting because of what they have done. And they think in terms of earthly relationships, how could a heavenly father keep loving me with what I have just done? But I go back to Romans 5, and here's what he says. If he would love me, and he does, on my worst day without Christ, he's going to keep loving me even when I'm not at my best. Here's what that does and how it affects us, guys. 
When you have a relationship with this book and on a day-by-day basis, you are being reminded God is in sovereign and control of all things and he loves me no matter what, there is something securing about that. There is something settling so that now I am not looking to a God for what I can get from him. He's already given an abundance. I'm not starting to look at the people around me thinking to myself, can I get something from them? I don't need to get anything from them. I have a God who has given me love and is in control of all things. Here's where the rubber meets the road. We put it on the bottom shelf. Here's what it all is about. The better I understand the God of this book, through this book, and that he loves me and he loves you, I find it not just possible to love God and love others. It becomes natural. I like what one man said it this way. When you open this book and read it over and over and over again, all you can keep hearing is God say, I love you, 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 I love you. And before you know it, you find yourself saying this, I love you too. It becomes a natural response, not something that I have to check the box, not something I have to muster up every Monday morning. Loving God is no longer a duty. It just feels natural. And our whole life then becomes an I love you to life. Why in the world would you go to church on Sunday? Because I love God. You're not here today to somehow gain some kind of um, approval rating from God. He's not going to love you anymore just because you came today. He's also not going to love you any less because you didn't make it. His love is steady and secure. And I come because I love him too. Say, all right, that's easy, Pastor. But that Bible verse says I got to love the people around me too. <laughs> Maybe you've heard it, you know, to, you know, to love those above that we've lost. You know, that'll be glory. To love those here below. Now that's a different story. <laughs> Pastor, you don't know who I'm living next to. You don't know. I got teenagers right now. You don't know what's going on here. I got new members on my team I got to work with. But there is a sovereign God who put those people in your life. Not by accident, but by design. How's all this help in that regard? You cannot see the love of God in this book before you begin to recognize if God can love old messed up me and God loves old messed up them I can love them too and one of the things that this verse emphasizes is that the way that we show our love for God is by our love for those who God loves I have two daughters, 
I live in a house full of girls. If you're familiar with Patch the Pirate, I, I suggest to people that his next CD is going to be called Oceans of Emotion, <laughs> and it's going to be after my family. <laughs> I have all girls in uh, my house, and uh, they are in college. And uh, earlier this uh, year, uh, my daughter texted me. She goes, Dad, who is this? She sent me a name, and I said, that's a friend of mine. And she goes, I've never met him. And I said, I, where'd you get his name? And she said, he put money on my school bill. And I quickly grabbed my phone, and I texted him, and I said, I heard through the grapevine that this guy named your name put an amount of money on my daughter's school bill. And there was a long pause, about an hour or so, and then I got a text back and said, sometimes it's good to let a guy know you love him by loving the people he loves. And he was letting me know that he liked me by loving somebody in a generous, sacrificial way that he had never met. And the way you and I begin to love one another is not because we are loving them because of them. We love them as an extension and a reflection that I love the God who loves them. So let me ask you this question. I've thrown the baseball and I've explained it. Would you live this next week with the realization that it's not really that complicated? Love God love others no matter what and today if you're the person saying boy I really need to love God better and I need to love God more and I need to love the people around me better then let's start with our relationship with this book would you commit to do that with me Heavenly Father thank you so much for your word and I pray that today you would help us to catch that simple thought that no matter what is happening in our life, you've got a responsibility and an expectation you placed on us, and that is to love you and to love others. I really believe we know that. I, I think we came into this auditorium today with that recognition, but where we're struggling is with the how. And Father, if the folks here in front of me are like me, there's a lot of growth needed when it comes to our relationship with your word. Heavenly Father, I pray that today your people would grow in their relationship with this book to look for God in its pages and to see the love of God. And may it cause within us, and I love you too.